Joe Howard, welcome to the Indie Hackers podcast. Cortland, thanks so much for having me, man. It's a pleasure. You are the founder of a company called WP Buffs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and why people use it? Sure. WP Buffs, as, as people can probably tell by the WP in the name, we manage WordPress websites. So we help small business owners, entrepreneurs with security, speed optimization, updates, ongoing edits for their website, pretty much all the technical support they need with a, a single monthly subscription. We also work with a few larger agencies and, and freelancers in the WordPress space. So we have a, a white label program so that if uh, yeah, if agencies and freelancers want to offer 24-7 support to their client base, but you know they're a small agency or they're just a, a single person, they can push their clients into 24-7 support for their WordPress sites while also uh, making a little bit of recurring revenue themselves. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much what we do. Cool. So you basically have a business where you support people. Which is funny because a lot of founders start their business and figure out how to minimize support. <laughs> it's the last thing they want to do. And that is the primary thing that you guys do. How do you, how do you like doing it? Yeah, service, this uh, services and support uh, area of WordPress, is, it definitely has its aches and pains. But uh, I, I love it because it's something that a lot of people don't like doing. It actually creates a nice niche where people need support. Some people want to outsource it. Some people just want help with it. And uh, that's where we can kind of step in and shine. The hardest part probably of what we do is just the fact that it's 24-7. I mean, you should see our our Slack. Uh, it's uh, people logging in, people logging out all the time, people working different time zones. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. How much of a business like that is service-based and how much of it is scalable? Because it kind of seems like in order to take on more and more customers and provide 24-7 support, you'll have to hire an increasing number of people. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. The, the essence of a productized service like ours, because at the core, we're really just a services company and we provide support for people on their WordPress sites, but we've kind of used the business model of a more SaaS-based company, which is why I'm such a big fan of Indie Hackers. I learned so much just being in here, learning from everybody else doing these SaaS businesses uh, when we have this kind of SaaS-based pricing. But uh, yeah, the strength of what we do really comes from the fact that it's a productized service and the, we really have to systemize everything, get it pretty fine-tuned so that we can just be as efficient as possible with our, with our care plans is what we call them. So that means that internally you have engineers that are basically building tools for yourself to make you more efficient for supporting your customers. Yeah, every day is kind of filled with uh, having the the day to day execution of just the you know hundreds of tickets coming in a day. We got to finish those up. We got to uh, make those updates for for our client base. But at the core of what we do, we always want to improve every day as well. So we have a lot of systems in place so that people are able to get the work done. But we also want to kind of have our team be able to take a step back and really say like, oh, like where where are the places where we really need to improve our systems based on you know issues we're seeing among a significant portion of our customer base. So yeah, a little bit of both. I am in Seattle right now. And on my flight here, I sat next to a nurse on the plane. And I asked her, you know, in all your years of being a nurse, what are, what are some of the best health tips that you've learned that I should know about? And she was very big on prevention. I wonder how that plays into a services business like yours, where you're providing support and help for people. How much effort you put into like preventing them from having problems in the first place? Because I guess the ideal situation is people are paying you a monthly fee, and you never need to really help them because things are just going well. Yeah, the most of our uh, requests that come in are edits people want to make to their site. So they want to update some content. They need to, uh, you know, add some functionality to their site. Uh, we're happy to help do that in kind of a reactive way. I, right. you're, I don't have to educate you very much, Corlin. You understand this proact, this requirement to be proactive in your business and to try to get out ahead of things. And that's kind of a big 
piece of my life too. I try to eat as healthy as possible. I try to exercise. I try to, I get mad when I go to the doctor and I ask, you know, Hey, I'd like to do a kind of a blood test. I kind of want to see how, uh, how healthy I am just in terms of all my markers. And they told me, well, insurance doesn't cover this because you're not sick. So you'd have to kind of pay out of pocket for that. I was kind of like pissed. I was like, what? Like how is insurance not cover this kind of thing? So yeah, it kind of applies the same to the business. Our goal is to, partner with website owners so that they can avoid issues and technical issues with their websites altogether. Let's figure out how to maximize and optimize uptime for your site so that it never goes down. You never have to email us and say, oh, you know, my site's down. Let's avoid that altogether so that people who, you know, are running websites can make sure it's up, can make sure it's running. A lot of people are running sites that are making them money around the clock. So whether it goes out in the afternoon or in the middle of the night, still really important. So yeah, being proactive for that stuff and security stuff as well, much easier and, and maybe more importantly, much cheaper to be proactive about security and get a subscription with us and, and have your website secure than you know, to pay 10, 20, 30 times as much if your website gets hacked or compromised. That's definitely not good. Yeah, and the WordPress ecosystem is enormous. There are like many millions of people with WordPress websites. So it's not like you're ever going to run out of clients. You're never going to run out of work to do. That's a pretty good business niche to, to be in. And I think one of the coolest things about your particular story is I know that you like launched your business and got your first customers within a few days. And like, I don't know what that's a testament to. Maybe the fact that you're kind of a productized service business, maybe the fact that you have a huge market and the business model is pretty obvious. You don't have to innovate a lot. Uh, how do you think you're able to launch something and, and start generating revenue so quickly? Yeah, if people want to kind of go on to, to IndieHackers.com, WP Buffs is up there, and we published our kind of founder story. I think it was like two years ago now. But, uh, yeah, people it was can, a long time ago. Yeah, it was. It feels like, it's funny, it feels like a long time ago, but it also just feels like yesterday. We have a lot of details there around how we launched and got started. But one of the big pieces there that people, I get a lot of questions about this, is that we kind of launched WP Buffs. I think I built the website like over a weekend. I pasted, you know, I copied and pasted some PayPal buttons up there and I started writing a little bit of content. Uh, and then I think within the first week, we got our first customer. And I think that was someone who had found us through, uh, I can't remember if it was really one of our pieces of content or when we, I started WP Buffs, I was really kind of, I was posting answers on Quora. So I was kind of running around the WordPress area and just kind of posting answers here and there. I think someone found an answer, came through and clicked one of our crappy little PayPal buttons and bought a plan. And I had set up zero of the operations of WP Buffs yet. So I, someone had <laughs> paid us and I had to figure out like, okay, like how are we doing backups? Like what are we using for security? Like I pretty much had to build it for the first customer. So I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard the, you know, you build the plane, you know, while it's running down the runway to take off or whatever expression yep. people have heard. But it was definitely, definitely like that. So yeah, the biggest way today we get customers is really through inbound inbound marketing, content marketing, whatever people want to call it. It's all, it's all similar. Um, but yeah, we write a lot of high quality content in the WordPress space and people find us, you know, join our email list. Uh, maybe they'll download an ebook. Maybe they'll, uh, you know, check out one of our webinars. And then if they show interest in what we do, then they'll, you know, get funneled into HubSpot and, you know, they'll go through our sales process. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it started with the first customer. And it took a little while for the SEO and stuff to get rolling. But now our sales team kind of log in every week and people just have meetings booked and it's all just because it's all pretty systemized. So it took a while to get rolling, but definitely worth it at this point. I was talking to Sam Parr, the founder of The Hustle, a little while ago. Mm. And I'm not sure if his episode will be out by the time this one airs, probably not. 
But you had this great point that people in tech tend to overthink their businesses and that to start a business, you don't really have to be that smart. You don't have to be that clever. You just really need to pick something that is kind of proven to work and then just make the calls, put in the hours. And generally speaking, you'll get somewhere just by doing that. And in tech, we tend to overcomplicate things. We tend to think that we need a brilliant idea that the world has never seen before, that we need to innovate in all these different places, that we need to build everything from scratch. And oftentimes that just slows us down and makes our businesses take way longer to build and makes them less successful. Whereas when I talk to founders like you, you tend to be more successful. When I talk to founders who oftentimes don't know how to code, who aren't building these big, hairy products, who aren't entering totally unheard of markets with novel business models, you tend to build bigger Mm -hmm. companies and find success way faster. I mean, you know, we're not the first company to do what we do. There are a lot of companies, if, you know, if people are listening and you're in the WordPress space, you're part of the WordPress community, you know, there are a lot of companies out there that do similar work to what we do. Um, You know, a monthly subscription, you get support with your WordPress website. And you're right, Corlin, a lot of people think you have to have this totally innovative idea and a year later, you're a billionaire. Like, (laughs) wow, that was so easy. But uh, I have actually, uh, I think you're right, most, most successful Companies, most of the successful companies you see, they may not have the most innovative idea out there, but the execution is, to me, is really everything. At this point, we're one of the leaders in the WordPress space and what we do. And it's not from our innovative idea. When I was checking out, do I want to do this subscription kind of business? I saw all the competition out there. And to me, having competition, other people out there doing what we do was actually nice. I didn't really have to do much like product market fit work. I was like, okay, other people run these businesses, they look pretty successful. I guess I'll jump in. And pretty much my theory was like, I'm a really good executor. I think I can run a team that executes really well. I have this strength in digital marketing. And and I think that all those can come together and we can grow a business. Uh, so yeah, I'm always of the uh, the mindset to uh, to kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, that's uh, It's easier said than done. But at the end of the day, it's much better to have a simple plan you can execute at an A level on than to have a, a really complicated plan that you don't execute well. I saw a tweet the other day that said, what do you ask yourself the most? And Paul Graham responded by saying, what can I cut? And I think that just goes to show how important it is to keep things simple, but also how difficult it is. It doesn't just come automatically. You have to remember to ask yourself this question of what can I cut over and over again, no matter what you're up to. Otherwise, you're probably going to waste a lot of time doing things that seem important, but actually aren't essential. But yeah, you're totally right. I like the way that you put it. You kind of skipped over this whole product market fit step, which is what kills so many businesses. They just never build something that people actually want. Analysis paralysis is a killer. Yeah, you don't want to spend all your time trying to figure out what to do. You want to just figure out what the essential stuff is, cut everything else out, and just get started as fast as possible and do what you did, basically, and launch in just a few days yeah, I agree. I think uh, I'm a big fan of the Pareto principle. And some people may be like, what's the Pareto principle? But you've heard of it. It's just the 80-20 rule. It's really just like, what are the 20% or what's the 20% of stuff I have to focus on to have 80% of the impact? And that can apply to a lot of different scenarios. But really, it's just as a founder or a, you know early employee or anybody who works at a startup or honestly, like, you know, any professional, a lot, there's a lot of work they're going to be doing, but what's the work you really need to focus on? What's, what's the work that's going to have the most impact? It's not everything you do. (laughs) I think most people know that a lot of their day is filled with stuff that doesn't really move the needle. So finding the things that move the needle and working on those often and early in your day, that's what's going to move the needle on that day and then move the needle in that week then move the needle in that month. And then 
you know, before you know it that year, you've truly moved the needle. So yeah, Pareto principle, big one. We're listing all these principles, we're listing all these, these snippets of advice. <laughs> and, and you mentioned earlier that you've learned a lot from like listening to Andy Hackers and reading the website. One of the things that I found is that a lot of people know this stuff. Like they've read about this stuff, heard about it, but then they become founders and just ignore it. It all goes out the window. Uh, it's really hard to remember like a hundred pieces of information that you've read over the years and actually apply them when you actually run into that situation. How do you yeah. think about that as a founder? How do you make sure you're sort of following all the advice that you've come across over the years? Man, this is a this is a super hard one because I really, I, I as a founder get stuck between this. I love to read and educate myself and do a lot of self-education. And a lot of times I like to kind of just do that across the board and just kind of uh, learn new things that just sound interesting. But then there are other situations where I really feel like I'm having this certain issue with this certain part of my business, I really have to like read up on hiring. So I have to like buy like five books on hiring and like read everything there is about hiring so I can like not suck at that. But it's always going to be an issue. You're never going to remember to do everything. You're never going to do everything perfectly. But at the same time, as a founder, uh, it's important to do that high impact work. I don't know if I have any like really solid advice here, except I don't know. I think it's a good idea to keep a, a written journal. I always have a little either like a blank journal or I've got like a little Pomodoro uh, scheduler. So I'm always kind of writing little things down because I'll forget them if I don't. And yeah, just kind of reviewing my notes and yeah, constantly having conversations with peers and uh, being honest and transparent about challenges we're having and not being like ashamed or embarrassed by them, but just kind of being open and saying like, how can I improve? And, and you continue that conversation, you know, that's how you move stuff forward. So you're going to forget stuff here and there for sure. But the right things will come up at the right times if you put yourself in a good position to have them come up. Being open and collaborating with others is such a good hack because then you don't have to remember everything on your own. You can just sort of share what you're working on and tell people what you're up to and what you're thinking. And if you're missing something obvious, they'll remind you. They'll be like, oh yeah, but what about this mm -hmm. thing I'm forgetting? And you'll be like, oh yeah, I knew that. I was, I was going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty logical person. I'm not very, I'm not like a very woo woo kind of person, but I do feel like if you put yourself in a good position, things will come to you at the right times. I've experienced that multiple times on my journey as a founder. It's kind of like, how did that happen? Or how was, how is this happening? It kind of, it feels almost magical. So I think recognizing that is not a random event. It's really just putting yourself in a good position to be successful. And that yeah. involves surrounding yourself with good people, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the phrase that comes to mind is making your own luck, sort of developing the right set of habits and activities that tend to make you lucky over the long run, that tend to put you in contact with the right people and the right ideas at the right times. And it's why oftentimes like certain people who don't seem to be the most well-read, the most studious, the most academic, or the most you know hardworking even can sometimes have like these outsized gains because they have like, these really good habits of sharing their work in public and asking others for help and working on their thing every day to just sort of help them quote unquote get lucky over the long run. Yeah, man. You mentioned that you did an ND Hackers interview almost two years ago. That was November 2017. You had just done $14,000 a month in revenue and it was your biggest month ever then. I think the month before that was something like 8,000. Why don't you tell us a bit about how things have gone since then? Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, we've got an Indie Hacker page up if people are uh, interested. And if you're not a member of Indie Hackers, you should totally join. If you have a company, you should create a you know a profile and a page. We have this page up. It, it hooks into our uh, our Stripe revenue. Um, so uh, all of our Stripe revenue, all of our Google Analytics traffic, it's all kind of up there for people to see if they really want to uh, peek into to how we're doing. Yeah, it is. It's 
it's pretty crazy thinking like back two years and like where we were two years ago. We just in May had a a 68k month. So we've wow. taken steps from uh, where we were a couple of years ago, and this is kind of Stripe revenue. You could add, you know, I don't know, five, ten percent for PayPal revenue coming in too, which isn't really reflected here. But our goal this year was to to try and reach a million dollars annual revenue, our ARR, and uh, yeah, we're kind of on our way to get there. So yeah, we're pretty exciting. It's kind of I kind of almost I look at this and I almost like can't believe it. It's kind of like <laughs> I kind of pinch myself. Like, is this really true? Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah, you're like five times bigger than you were two years ago. And it's cool to go back and look at your business from your eyes back then because you can kind of realize how far you've come and it kind of hits you. Whereas in the present, in your current day-to-day, it's harder to really appreciate your growth and how far you're coming because it's the changes are just happening so gradually. Yeah, I think it's it's really intriguing thinking back to myself because I, I don't feel like I'm that different than I was two years ago, or honestly, like the business is that different than it was two years ago. There, there are obviously some big changes that have happened, but I think a lot of people, especially like in the indie hackers community are starting to think like, how do, when do I want to go full-time on my business? And it's kind of like, okay, like 5k to 10k MRR. Like that's usually the time people are starting to think like, okay, this is picking up momentum. Like I can, you know, potentially you know, start thinking about going full-time on this. The difference between, you know, 10 to 15K MRR and, and honestly, like the that 68 or 70K month we had, we kind of talked about this a little already, but it wasn't this hugely innovative idea or concept. It was, you know, we really just had a good plan. I got lucky and hired some good people along the way, some good team members, and we just executed really well from, you know, 10K MRR to, you know, 83K MRR, which is kind of like the million dollar mark for annual revenue. If people can overcome enough challenges, you'll get there. Obviously easier said than done, but that's all growing a business is. You're going to you're gonna hit challenges. Everyone hits challenges. The successful people just kind of end up figuring out how to overcome those challenges. So, and people can look at our kind of revenue growth on, on Indie Hackers. It's not, you know, we didn't shoot up. We've had very gradual growth over two years. It's, it's pretty linear, a few ups, a few downs, uh, but overall it's pretty, it's pretty linear. Sometimes I'd like it to be a little more exponential, but slow growth has been good for us. One of the things that you guys have done to increase your revenue is increase your prices. You just posted a milestone recently to your Indie Hackers product page for WP Buffs, and it says executed major price increase. And you said you increased pricing for your care plans earlier this year, but recently you've also increased prices for your previously grandfathered customers, which has to be a little bit nerve wracking, but it seems to have gone well. You said your churn barely increased at all, and your monthly recurring revenue increased significantly. So tell us a little bit about how that went down. Yeah, this was super scary. Uh, and I had to, cr- I feel like I had to crunch a lot of numbers before I actually kind of pulled the trigger on this. Like, are you sure if I increase my prices by, you know, 25, 30% for all my existing customers are not all just going to leave? We raised our prices probably six months ago or so for all our new customers. So we had new pricing in place, but this was kind of creating like a lot of headaches uh, in like account management stuff. Like who's on the new plans? Who's on the old plans? This is starting to take up too much bandwidth on our team. So yeah, we kind of decided, okay, we've added a lot of value to our plans. We provide all these kind of premium plugins to people for free as part of our care plans. We've really focused a lot on reply and resolution time for our, our, our tickets and our desk. And that's really, really, uh, we've, we've done really well there. Uh, so yeah, I think that that justifies a, a price increase to be able to make us more comfortable as a company. Honestly, to be able to invest a little bit more back into our customers and continue to make improvements. So yeah, we did a price increase for all our previously grandfathered in 
customers. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting to see the graphs. Maybe I'll, I'll tweet something out when this episode goes live or something. But uh, yeah, it's uh, we did two price increases, one for direct customers uh, and one for kind of our agency white label partners. Both uh, you can see within the two or three days of actually executing the price increase, you can see the increase in, in monthly recurring revenue for us about, uh, you know, five, six percent for each of those increases. So 10 to 12 percent uh, after both were done. And you can see kind of a small trickle of churn afterwards, but uh, gets really nowhere near to where it was before. So increased pricing, got a few complaints here and there, but that's going to happen when you raise prices. And yeah, got to the point where we actually had a few people churn out. Most of those people were, in my opinion, kind of lower quality customers, people who were kind of interested in the lower price, but not as much as the value add and the value add for them. But yeah, ended up with 10% or so increase in monthly revenue just by increasing prices. Uh, and additionally, kind of lower support loads because we had a, a, you know, a few people leave. So in my books, it looks like a win. I have to kind of see how churn uh, works over the next couple months. I like to see how churn kind of works out, you know, three, four months in advance. But for now, uh, seems like a win. Yeah, it sounds like a win. And my heart is warmed every time I hear a story of an indie hacker founder raising their prices and hearing that it works out in the end, which actually it tends to do most of the time because we as indie hackers tend to undervalue what we're building. We tend to think that we can't charge that much because we're not these big companies and these big companies are providing much better products than we are. So we have to charge way less when, in fact, I think often the opposite is true. If you are Amazon or Google or something, you can charge very little for what you're building because you can take advantage of these huge economies of scale. You can do things very cheaply. And if you are a small, scrappy startup, you can't really take advantage of that. Your advantage is not in low prices. Your advantage is in high prices, but also providing a more personal service, a more customized service, targeting a, a specialized niche, having better customer support and, and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's 100% right. And I used to be one of those people who was nervous to raise prices. Uh, and almost, I'd say, afraid. Like I, I thought like I was going to raise prices and everyone was going to leave and everyone, all my customers and partners were going to hate me. Yeah. I mean, I think about like big publicly traded companies. They can afford to like give away a ton of free accounts or sell things super cheap because at the end of the day, it's like they can kind of report on how many users they got this, that month and so or that quarter. Uh, and then their stock price goes up. And so they've made money kind of through that way, but it's not necessarily like literally how profitable were they or how much revenue they brought in. Yeah, you're right. Small businesses don't have that uh, ability. So the advantage of a small business is you can actually charge people more because you can give people a better experience. Uh, you can really be agile in your movements. We have 15 or 16 people on the team now or so. So it's harder now than it was when we were, you know, three or four people to make changes. Um, but, you know, Think about how hard it is when you have a thousand or two thousand employees. Uh, then it's really hard to make big changes. So, yeah, you can provide people enormous value even if you're a small company. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely urge people. I heard the advice too when I was starting off, like raise your prices, and it took me a little while to get into it. So I understand people are at different stages of their business, but think about price increase in terms of like what more value can you add. If you can add more value, you can raise your prices. You know, we raised our prices because our care plans were more valuable to people and people will pay because they're getting more from it. So it's, it'll be hard to raise your prices if you don't give anything back. But, you know, as you're building your company, of course, you're improving, you're finding new ways to do things. And so it's probably kind of a good rule of thumb that like every year or so you should think about like, what does raising prices look like? Like we've gotten better over the last year. Should we raise prices? That should probably just be kind of a, you should 
add that as a repeating task for, for whoever's listening. There's a quote, I don't know who it's from. It might be Charlie Munger. It might be Warren Buffett or somebody else, but they said the best way mm-hmm. to get something in life is to deserve it. And I think that's basically what you're describing. You want to raise your prices, make your product better. And then you can, of course, raise your prices. Yep. I could not have said it better myself. I think a lot of people starting off do undervalue themselves just because they're like, you know, we're a small team. Like, do we, are we really providing that much value? But I think trying to shake out of that mindset a little bit and really at the beginning, people are going to pay you and you're going to be amazed that people are giving you money for what you do. But you know, after your 10th customer or your 20th customer, or your 30th customer, like that should probably like wear off a little bit and you should start to think like, okay, people are paying me for this thing. What else do they need? You got to really be talking with your customers. I mean, getting feedback is essential to being able to raise your prices because if you don't build more things or put together, you know, add some, add more value to people, then they're not going to want to pay more, but you have to know what they want. So yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself there. Another one of the milestones that you posted to your page on Indie Hackers is that you started a podcast. Another thing that's near and dear yes. to my heart. Podcasting is fascinating because it's this newly popular media channel. It's an old channel. It's been around for like decades, but it's like just now sort of blowing up to the point where lots of people are starting podcasts. Lots of people are asking themselves why start a podcast and whether or not they should start one. Why did you start a podcast for WP Buffs and how's it going? So... If people also are like podcasters, want to do podcast stuff, Cortland, you just started the uh, first group in Indie Hackers, which is the podcasting group. Uh, yeah. So I'd urge people to go and, and check that out. I'm in there kind of asking questions. And uh, I also have to thank you, Cortland, for uh, a nice recommendation on uh, someone to help edit our podcast. It sounds beautiful because I went and found the person who helps with the Indie Hackers podcast. So I appreciate that. Shout out to Bradley. Shout out, Bradley. Nice work, buddy. Okay, so... WP Buffs, kind of people have heard what we do. We, we manage WordPress websites. We do this ongoing subscription. Pretty simple business model. We found that a lot of the white label partners we were talking to, instead of wanting to outsource support to us, they actually wanted to learn how to do or they wanted to do ongoing support themselves. A lot of people are like, oh, 24-7 support sounds cool, like, but it also sounds hard. But I think I can do that. Uh, how do I learn how to do that myself? So because we're listening to customers and talking with our our audience, we said, okay, so maybe instead of, you know, this outsource solution, people may want to do it themselves. So we put together WPMRR. The WP is for WordPress. The MRR is monthly recurring revenue. So WPMRR was born. Uh, it's a video course all around pretty much open sources, everything we do at, at WP Buffs. And so it pretty much is a video course around how to sell care plans, sell, execute, implement all of the above. With that came a great opportunity to talk a little bit more about how to use WordPress and different tools in focusing on monthly recurring revenue and building a sustainable business and have your your kind of work work around your your life and not the other way around, not have your life work around your work. So I asked Christy, who's a good friend of mine, if she wanted to start the WPMRR WordPress podcast with me and she graciously accepted and uh, 50 or so episodes later we are we are live so yeah we uh, have a lot of fun with it we've done a few live episodes we have a few um, kind of wordcamp talks wordcamps are these conferences for WordPress people that they go to these uh, here talks about WordPress and and uh, get together with other people in the community uh, open source community so yeah podcasting's been a bunch of fun so I've been digging it you put out a lot of content for WP buffs it's kind of how you got started and got your first customer and you've continued since then. How do you think podcasting compares to blogging and, and SEO in terms of affecting your business and affecting sort of your audience? Podcasting up to this point has had a 
much lower or much less of an effect than the kind of articles you write for WP Buffs uh, and the webinars you do for WP Buffs at this point. We've just been doing stuff at WP Buffs for so long that that pinwheel has started to roll. And so it just is pretty effective at this point in terms of customer acquisition channels and stuff like that. Podcasting is kind of still in this point where we just kind of do it for fun. It has started to bear fruit. Like we do hear from people who come to WP Buffs and are like, oh, I heard your podcast over there. Or people will buy the course uh, at WPMRR because they're podcast listeners and they may get a little discount code on the podcast and stuff. So it started to turn into a little bit of a financial ROI, but we pay Bradley, the you know, guy who edits our podcast, like his payment comes really from WP Buffs. Like WP Buffs makes a revenue that powers uh, the podcast. So it's not, and we don't really have any plans to like do any sponsorships or anything like that. Honestly, for me doing the podcast, I'm super happy to be able to do the podcast because I really like it as a medium as opposed to blogging. I think there are advantages to both, right? You can you can blog and you can write. And you, when you do that and you click publish, you've really reviewed that article and you really know exactly what it says. And you pretty much say exactly what you mean. When you do a podcast like this podcast that I did not do very much prep for, I'm kind of speaking a little bit off the cuff, but I think that there's a lot of value in that as well, because you really, you're not hearing my filtered voice. You're hearing like what I truly think kind of off the cuff. So this is Joe. Uh, yeah, this is this is it, everyone. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I like the podcast format because I get a lot of value in hearing and in podcasts I listen to with, where people are just kind of shooting the breeze. I think there's an enormous value in hearing those little details about people. So hopefully I've given people a few little nuggets in, in a few of the things I've said. Uh, but yeah, podcast has been great for that. And uh, we don't really have plans to do sponsorships or anything like that or do any pure monetization of it. It's really just for the audience. And it's for me and Christy to be able to meet other cool people in the WordPress community. Well, it's called the WPMRR WordPress podcast. Recommend you go check it out if you're in the WordPress space. Uh, I've listened to a few episodes. I thought it was interesting uh, just to really hear other founders talk about their businesses because you guys do a lot of that too. The downside of this quick chat format is that they're supposed to be quick and we are now over 30 minutes. (laughs) Uh, I've got so much more I want to talk to you about, about like how you have sort of got your content engine spun up at WP Buffs, and also uh, maybe in the future we'll have to have you back on to see if the podcast is bearing more fruit. But Joe, thanks so much for coming on, for talking to me about WP Buffs. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about what you're up to and where they can find what you're working on? Yeah, for sure. WPBuffs.com is everything WP Buffs. WPMRR.com is everything monthly recurring revenue around WordPress. The podcast is there on WPMRR as well. So people can go check it out or in your podcast app of choice. I'm on Twitter. So this was kind of a short conversation. Man, I could I could talk for hours and about this stuff. So if you have any questions, you can you can find me on Twitter. It's Joseph H. Howard. Uh, so there are three H's there in the middle. So triple H there. Um, but yeah, feel free to tweet at me if you have any like questions or any comments or anything about anything I said. Uh, whether you agree or disagree, I love to chat about it. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Orland. Quick note for listeners. If you're interested in coming onto the podcast like Joe to have a quick chat with me, go to ndhackers.com slash milestones and post a milestone about what you're working on. It can be pretty much anything. People have posted milestones about launching or finding their first customer. They posted about growing their mailing list or hitting a thousand followers on Twitter they posted about getting to $100 or $1,000 or even $100,000 a month in revenue. The sky is the limit. So whatever you're proud of, come celebrate it on ndhackers.com slash milestones. And other indie hackers will help you celebrate. We love supporting each other and encouraging each other when we hit these milestones. And what I will do is at the end of every week, I'll look at the top milestones posted and reach out to people to invite them to come onto the podcast for a quick chat. 
So once again, that's ndhackers.com slash milestones. I'm looking forward to seeing what you post.